Chapter 5, Mayhem and Motherhood I have been dreaming about motherhood almost as long as I had been thinking about marriage. It was a given. Once I got married, I would have children. My mother's example left a powerful impression on me, and I wanted to be just like her. Married before 25, first kid by 26. I had no desire to wait to have children, and thankfully my husband felt the same way. When I got married, two of my married friends were expecting. I witnessed their growing bumps, and I was even more excited to have my own experience of motherhood. I pictured maternity shoots, multiple baby showers, and being doted on hand and foot. Initially, I thought I was pregnant just two weeks after our wedding, and I panicked. Even though I wanted children right away, the way pregnancy had been instilled in me as something to fear while I was young and single made it hard for me to immediately recognize that pregnancy so soon after our wedding was good news. I legitimately cried for fear of being judged for being pregnant so early. If the baby came early, people would think I got pregnant before we got married. Thankfully, the Holy Spirit worked that fear right out of my heart. Children are a blessing from God, and His gift of fruitfulness to our marriage was not something to despise. I fixed my flawed understanding and decided that whether we got pregnant in our first month or our first year, I would rejoice in God's gift and His timing. Two months later, I missed my period and the rest was history. I was so excited to see that positive pregnancy test. I recognized right away that getting pregnant with such little effort was nothing but God's grace and goodness over me. For women whose journey has not been as seamless or easy as mine, His grace abounds towards you as well, even if your journey looks different. For whatever reason, Nigerians, or maybe all people, are notorious for rushing each other out of one stage of life into the next. If you were single, people wanted you to be married. If you were married, they wanted you to have children. And when you have children, they want you to have more. Don't ask me why we're like this. Only God knows. I was happy to fall in line with my culture's expectation of marriage and children because they matched perfectly with my own heart desires. I was ready for all the fun and adventure that pregnancy and motherhood would bring. I pictured countless pictures of my bump to be released after the baby was born, of course, because like most Nigerian women before me, we did not announce our pregnancy. We allowed the pregnancy to announce itself. If you did not see me during my baby bump days, then you would not know that I was pregnant because I would not have told you. I imagine baby showers, a baby moon, shopping trips, decorating a nursery and all the other memories that we'll make as we made room for our first baby. Pregnancy was not at all what I had imagined. Thanks to the nausea and sickness that hung like a cloud over our happiness. I was constantly sick. I lost weight. 
food was repulsive. I was dehydrated because plain water tasted like backwash to me. Everything made me ill. I went to the urgent care because my first doctor's visit was still weeks away, and I honestly believed I was dying and could not wait the three weeks to see my OBGYN. Eventually, my husband got an earlier appointment and our OB was able to perform my pregnancy test and confirm the pregnancy. She offered some tips to alleviate the nausea, but none of it worked, not even the prescribed medication. The only thing that brought me any semblance of relief in those early weeks was grapefruit juice. I tried it on a whim and because it stayed down, since at that point I was throwing up water and had given up food entirely. Grapefruit juice became my only constant source of nutrients for several weeks. The smell of food alone nauseated me, so I could not bring myself to put it in my mouth. Crackers did not help. Sprite did not help. Ginger ale worked for a while until it stopped working. I drank it by the gallons. Then my body began rejecting it. It has been six years and I still cannot look at a can of Canada Dry. I hated going to church, but I had to go. If I did not go, someone would know something was wrong. But when I went, I spent all of my time in a bathroom. Throwing up at church where someone could hear me and guess at my condition was unsettling. The only people I told about the baby were my parents, my in-laws, and my pastor. Everyone else just had to speculate. When I got to the tail end of my first trimester, I told my best friends, who also happened to be my cousins, and texted a picture of my ultrasound to the friends turned sisters who served as my bridesmaids. In short, I think we told about 10 people, and we kept the news off social media. The nausea of early pregnancy was still beating me up heavily. I did not feel like opening myself up to the scrutiny of curious and nosy people while my health was still going through a roller coaster. I got a burst of energy in my second trimester and the nausea was no longer a constant. It still happened frequently, but it was no longer daily. I could go days here and there and even weeks without getting sick. I was so excited to get back to myself. I started taking care of my appearance again and venturing out into the world without a sick back. Pregnancy started looking more like what I had pictured. Cute baby bumps and a beat face. I loved being pregnant in the fall. I strutted around in my wool dresses, my tights, and my boots. Life was good. For my husband's birthday that year, I decided on a surprise party at a restaurant. I called all of his friends and mine for a gathering and got my first lesson about the difference between people who know you and people who like you. The same people who had clamored to be in the mix for our wedding fell off the grid when the spotlight was off. I invited 15 people and three people responded. Honestly, it was a blessing from God. The 15 people I invited were casual acquaintances the three who showed up for us were our core group of close friends. We had an amazing night, and seeing my husband's genuine smile made me feel like I had won all over again. In my third trimester, I intended 
the Bethel Campus Fellowship National Conference. And I realized that I was one of almost half a dozen various BCF leaders and wives who were expecting. The experience was surreal, but it allowed us to form a group of BCF mamas to support and encourage one another through what was the first pregnancy for almost the majority of the group. Chatting and emailing with those women every day gave me a sense of community and alleviated the loneliness that tried to seep in as most of my friends were still single and living busy lives. We talked about everything from sex during pregnancy to birth control options to how to maintain spiritual vitality while caring for newborns and toddlers. The group was everything I needed and more. BC have has shown up for me in so many unexpected ways since the organization began in 2005. I find myself always looking for ways to bless the ministry in return. I was feeling some relief in my third trimester, only for the nausea to return because of my shrinking stomach. My organs had been shifted by my growing uterus, and although I was always hungry, Attempting to eat large meals brought everything back up. When we finally arrived at the point of labor and delivery, I had one prayer. Because other women had been telling me about their own horror stories of the pain of childbirth, I started praying early on for God to remove the fear of labor and delivery from my heart. I did not want to be too afraid to do what I knew my body had been designed by God to do since the beginning of time, give birth to a baby. So for the first eight months, I did not read about birth or delivery. I never watched any live birthing videos. I focused on my overall health. And once my nausea began to wane, I made sure to enjoy my pregnancy. Feeling my baby kick from the inside is a feeling I cannot put into words. I would talk to him throughout the day and rub my belly affectionately. When I was a few weeks from my due date, I began reading about what to expect during labor and delivery. I took a baby and me course for first time moms and the information was very helpful in calming any anxiety or fear of the unknown. Much like marriage, everyone wanted me to get pregnant and have kids but no one in my life had prepared me for the process. I did not know anything about active and passive labor, thinning cervix or the different benefits between a home birth versus a hospital birth. I learned everything in class and I was grateful. The more information I had about the labor process, the more equipped I felt. My desire was to have an unmedicated birth, if it was possible. If there was no need for medical intervention for my sake or the baby's, then I wanted to give my body the opportunity to do exactly what women have been doing since the dawn of time. During my second or third trimester, I developed placenta previa. My placenta was blocking the opening of my cervix, and if it did not shift away, I would not be able to have a vaginal birth because the risk of bleeding would be too great. My doctor restricted me from certain activities while they monitored the movement of my placenta for the following six weeks. The plan to have a birth without medical intervention was already looking shaky.
but I call on my two sisters, Stephanie and Khadija, and we pray that my body will shift everything that needed shifting to give me a chance at a natural birth. By the time my last month of pregnancy rolled around, our prayers had been answered and I was in position to have my baby how I wanted. During one of our ultrasounds, our doctor told us that our son seemed to have fluid around his heart and may need surgery immediately after birth. Nothing was conclusive since he was still developing daily, but the doctor kept a watchful eye on his condition. When my due date came and went with no baby in sight, and my unborn child was in no hurry to do anything that remotely resembled coming into the world, my doctors gave me another week to see if we could get the baby moving. Six days after my initial due date, I made some progress during my checkup, but the doctor was comfortable enough with inducing my labor. On we went to the hospital. I welcomed whatever the doctor felt was necessary. I trusted all the doctors in the OBGYN practice, and my nurse of a husband was there to advocate for my care. At only two centimeters dilated, I was admitted into the hospital for an overnight stay. While the contractions continued throughout the night, I elected to have some over-the-counter medicine to take the edge off my pit. It may as well have been a placebo for all the effect it had on my pain. In the morning, I was induced, and the intense labor pains started almost immediately. The pain was severe, but it was pain with a purpose. I reminded myself that the pain was not for nothing. Each wave of contractions was putting me one step closer to meeting the baby I already fell in love with. I rode the waves, clutching my husband's hands when they were most severe, and resting as much as possible between each contraction. Within four hours of receiving my medicine, it was time to push. With my husband and my mother-in-law in the room, along with a handful of nurses and my doctor, our son came into the world at exactly 12.14 p.m. that afternoon. When our son was born, they whisked him away to check his heart. My doctor wanted to confirm or discard the worries about his heart. He came back with a clean bill of health and we were cleared to begin our new journey together. I checked into my hospital to have our baby on Monday afternoon and checked myself out on Wednesday morning. I only needed one day after my birth to get my bearings. Two weeks after my birth, I had no more pain. To say my birth experience was everything I wanted would be putting it mildly. I got the natural birth I wanted. I was able to ride out the pain without fear paralyzing me, and neither the baby nor I needed further medical intervention. All of it was a blessing. Bringing our firstborn home was magical. For the first few weeks, my mother and my mother-in-law took turns staying with me during the nights when my husband was away. They did everything from bathing the baby and supporting me while I breastfed, to cooking and allowing me to bathe in peace. I was surrounded by love and care, and I was completely grateful. After those first weeks, everyone went back to their daily routines, and it was just the baby and I. I would look at my son in puzzlement 
that everyone in my life had left him to my care without a second look. Do they know that I have no clue what I am doing? The thought of being the one solely responsible for the care, safety, and very life of such a vulnerable little person set my heart racing. I had no clue that what I was supposed to do, but somehow everyone was comfortable leaving me to be the round-the-clock caretaker of our baby. The fear was both paralyzing and comical as I would go through my days alone thinking, don't break the baby, don't break the baby. Everyone will be so mad if you break this baby. I was not a danger to our son, but my overactive imagination kept seeing unseen dangers lurking around every corner. The prolonged state of hypervigilance was mentally and emotionally exhausting. Adding to my stress is the frustrating Nigerian practice that included well-wishers dropping by your house unannounced to see the baby. I will never forget my first Sunday after giving birth. I was at home with our baby while my husband went to church. He called me from our parking lot to inform me that the church, yes, the entire church, was stopping by to see the baby and they were seconds from our door. I was disoriented, sleep deprived, and not bathed, braless and wearing my new nightgown with a deep v-neck, which made it ideal for breastfeeding, but wholly inappropriate for entertaining guests. I did not even have time to go hide in our bedroom before the first guests entered. I managed to smile, gave the baby to my husband, and hightailed it to the bedroom away from everyone in their Sunday's best. I was ready to box my husband. Even if he had called me immediately after service, that would have given me a 30-minute head start to clean up the house, change my clothes, and present some semblance of having it together. But calling me from the parking lot literally made me a deer in headlights. I had no time to move before the crowd descended. I fumed in a bedroom and hoped that my husband remembered to tell the guests to wash their hands before holding the baby. I had a lot of apprehension as a new mom and having a newborn exposed to people who could possibly get him sick was number one on the list. It still frustrated me when people would carry the baby without my permission and without washing their hands. Many Nigerians are notorious. They see a new baby and they just have to hold him. Sometimes before the mom has the opportunity to object. As I sought prayer and counsel about my apprehensions, the Lord taught me to give him our son. After all, it was God who had given him to us in the first place. Giving my son to the Lord meant handing him over and trusting the Lord to take care of him. I did not have to worry about every detail of his life even in the midst of being vigilant about his health and safety. I needed to trust in the Lord's supernatural ability to protect and defend him from any and all attack. I started praying for the grace to hold everything loosely, from my husband to our son to any other person or material possession in my life. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, became the cry of my heart. I wanted to be able to trust fully in God's goodness 
even if he decided to take away someone or something I cherished. More than losing someone I love, I did not want to lose my faith in God or the ability to see his character. God continues to answer that prayer even today. And his blessings towards us have been multiplied. So as his grace to give those blessings back to him as his to care for. Motherhood changed the nature of my marriage in that it intensified it. This proved to be both a blessing and a curse. Where I had been grateful for how my husband cared for me as his wife, I was doubly grateful to figure out that he was also a doting and loving father. It melted my heart in thankfulness to see him being so diligent and involved in the care of our son. On the other hand, to the extent that I had any frustrations about my multiplying responsibilities and my husband's laid-back attitude in lightening my load, I was exponentially more frustrated when a new baby was added to the equation. My husband is annoyingly laid back. Nothing triggers him to action. Not a dirty house, not a wailing baby, and not a nagging wife. Dishes were piling up and baby toys would be all over the living room floor, and he would not bat an eye. Meanwhile, I fumed. Why did I have to spend hours nursing, holding, and rocking a baby? Only to spend every unfettered moment running around like a madwoman trying to keep the house in shape. Why could he not help? Those thoughts and others like them kept me shooting daggers at the back of my husband's head. I was convinced that he saw my plight and he was willfully withholding his help from me. Believing that your husband who is charged to love you like Christ actually means you harm and desires your emotional breakdown does not lend itself to a happy marriage. As the root of resentment began to plant itself in my heart, the Lord sent his word and his wisdom to uproot it. How would you feel if your husband accused you of purposefully trying to sabotage his success? How much would it hurt to find out that your spouse actually believes the worst about you? The rebuke was like a strong slap in the face. I would have been devastated, brokenhearted, if my husband ever told me that I was not a loving mother or wife or that I was not doing enough to support him in his endeavors. Knowing that, why did I think it was okay to harbor the same thoughts about him? Honestly, because I believe that not speaking the bitter thoughts meant I was not doing anything damaging to my husband. I had no excuse. The thoughts, even if they were never spoken, were sinful. Love was supposed to keep no record of wrong, and that was exactly what I was doing by noting how often my husband did not help me around the house. The same woman, me, who had been willing to pop by his place and help him clean up while he was resting from multiple 12-hour shifts, now resented doing the same thing once we were husband and wife. I had considered it an act of service to the man I loved, but the pattern I set became unsustainable with a newborn. Instead of communicating my changing needs, I let resentment brew in my heart. 
organization of the home, balancing our budget, and managing our household were things I had been doing effortlessly for years, and I enjoyed them. My husband did not need to have the same strengths as me. He had his own gifts. After kicking against the gourds for a while, I finally realized God's wisdom in using my husband and me to complement one another. The house did not need to be perfect, as much as I wish it could be. It needed to be livable and sustainable for our day-to-day needs. I stopped worrying myself to death about every little thing that was not in place and took the time in between caring for the baby to enjoy my husband. What did not get done today will be there tomorrow. But time with my husband was not a promised perk. I had to start capitalizing on it by living in the moment with him. And four years later, when the state of disarray bothered me to the point of disturbing my peace, but I didn't have the time to clean it to my satisfaction. Instead of resenting my husband for not being the same dirt-busting germaphobe that I was, I hired a cleaning service. $180 was no cost at all if paying someone to clean my house meant that I got to enjoy peace in my home. It's worth it, and I will pay it time and time again if that is the price for enjoying my marriage. When I stopped worshiping at the altar of perfectionism, I was able to enjoy our baby and my husband much more. Instead of hurrying to do chores, I would linger in my husband's arms, taking the time for both of us to play with our son. As the rigidity was replaced by love, I would find my husband more apt to help around the house. Leaving things undone to enjoy each other's company provided him an opportunity to notice where he could help. He washed dishes, vacuumed the house, and put away books and toys without prompting. And I was overjoyed at the extra help. The dynamics of our marriage remains largely the same. I am still the one who fusses about the house, and my husband is largely unbothered by what I call a mess. The Lord has taught me another important lesson in this time. The fact that my husband does not notice a mess means I am doing my job as his wife. It means that I am cleaning to the point that the house never reaches a level of complete disarray that would be unlivable even for a laid-back personality like him. In other words, the help that I am rendering my husband is so thorough and suitable to him that he can live his life in peace, never having to bother about the things that God has given me to be in charge of. If I was doing a poor job, he would be stepping in more often to micromanage my efforts. It was up to me to ask for his help if I see that I need it. This was the adult thing to do rather than picking a fight with him for not being able to read my mind. Of course, the ideal is that each adult does their share and does not burden the other, but the scales are not always even for a variety of reasons. I knew that going into my marriage, and it was not a deal breaker for me before we said our vows. I did not want to make a mountain out of a molehill once we got in the trenches of marriage. Getting my husband to help around the house was a matter of speaking my needs and finding a compromise, not resenting him for being wired differently than I am. It seems for us, We were always transitioning to find what works in our household.
When our firstborn was 14 months old, my husband started travel nursing. He was only two hours away from home, but his schedule meant that he would not be coming home except for every other weekend. I did not expect him to drive four hours back and forth on little to no sleep during his work days. He spent Monday through Thursdays and every other weekend in Fayetteville and would come home on his days and weekends off. It's true what they say. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. On the days when he could not come home, I would load up our one-year-old and drive an hour to meet him halfway for lunch. Little did we know that travel nursing was about to yield an additional benefit outside of the increased salary. My husband started his travel nursing position in June. By August, we were pregnant with our second child. We had been trying for months beforehand, but all the pieces came together as soon as he started working out of town. When we got pregnant with our second child, I had a growing fear that I would not be able to manage having two children who were two years apart on top of all my other responsibilities as a wife and a business owner. The fear was palpable, especially on days when I found myself struggling to wrangle my toddler with my very pregnant belly. How was I gonna keep up with him when there was a newborn added to our family? I needed my husband more than ever. Even if he thought I could do it all with one kid, when the kids outnumbered the mom, it was time to call in some reinforcement. Okay, husband, jump right in, please. Unfortunately for me, my husband left travel nursing to transition into the only local nursing position that was a good fit at the time, a full-time weekend shift that had him away from us every weekend. Between Friday afternoons and Monday mornings, I was the only parent available for our kids. Scheduled 12-hour shifts easily become 15 hours when you factor in all the unpredictable that happens between shift changes. He was not home at night, and he needed to sleep and rest during the day. Even on his days off, my husband maintained the same sleep schedule. Mornings and afternoons were his time to rest. By the time he was awake in the evening, I already had a full day of parenting two kids on my own. My husband's new shift was a necessary sacrifice he made for our family to have adequate health insurance. I did not want to complain, but my frustrations were building. Each morning, I woke up by myself to get us ready for the day. I bathed, cooked, fed the kids, and cleaned up the house. Then we either settled in for an afternoon at home, or we went to explore the park and visit my parents. When my husband walked into the door, he immediately went to bed. I got accustomed to living my day without him. For six months, I endured a time in my marriage where I literally felt like a single mother. My husband was either at work or asleep, and I needed to learn how to cope without his help. His weekend shift began in March, a month before our baby was due and lasted until August. When we started that new year before the baby was born, I had one prayer and one prayer only. I needed grace to excel in my roles. My prayer was motivated by the Holy Spirit's assurance that His grace would be sufficient for me 
in my multiplying responsibilities. I deemed the coming year my year of grace and forged ahead as boldly as I could manage. I had been hoping that the sickness during my first pregnancy was a fluke, something that would not repeat itself with the next babies, but it was not meant to be so. My first symptom after my missed period was the nausea. I could not eat my favorite foods, and I knew almost immediately that we were expecting again. The home pregnancy test was not a surprise to me. My body already told me everything I needed to know. I was going to be a mother of two. Like my first pregnancy, the nausea of pregnancy with my second son overwhelmed my senses. Unfortunately, I could not just lie on the couch for the entire day as I had done with our first. I had a toddler to care for. My symptoms did not care. I remember driving with our son and having to pull over to throw up on multiple occasions. I would spend nights with my parents or my in-laws just to get some relief while I was home alone with our toddler and my grueling pregnancy symptoms. It was also time to look for a new home. Our two-bedroom apartment was ideal with one baby, but with a toddler whose toys were slowly taking over all the rooms and another baby on the way, we needed an extra bedroom. At seven months pregnant, while my husband was still working 12-hour shifts overnight, I packed up our belongings and waited for moving day. We found a three-bedroom apartment on the outskirts of Greensboro closer to Jamestown and began our new adventure. I initially thought that my source of help with the children should have been my husband. I did not make the babies by myself, so why should I be the only one taking care of them? But I have realized that my husband is a significant resource as my co-parent and partner in life, but God is my ultimate source. My husband needed to work to take care of us. His chosen career path is demanding, but this is the work he is passionate about. Nursing is his calling, and part of that calling required him to work. 12-hour shifts in our case, overnight weekend shifts that made it necessary for him to sleep during the day. Just because my husband was largely unavailable did not mean that God would leave me without help. For the first time in our lives, we had no family members available to provide child care for our children. But God was about to make provision for our needs in a miraculous way. When I was a first-time mom, if there was nobody available to watch our baby, I would bring my infant with me to the office and have my assistant watch him when I was needed in court. If we had court appearance in different counties, he would ride with us and my assistant would watch him in a car while I handled business. It worked out, but it was not ideal for two children. The job of keeping a two-year-old and an infant happy for hours at a time was too tedious to be done in a cramped office or the back of a family van. We needed a babysitter and fast. When our second born was born a healthy and beautiful six pounds and 11 ounces, it was time to put feet to my prayers. 
while still home on maternity leave. I asked a family friend for her recommendations for childcare for my oldest, and she recommended her mother-in-law, Grandma A. Grandma turned out to be a godsend. For the first time in my life as a mother, we found a regular babysitter who would watch our toddler at her home while the baby and I got acclimated to our new reality. Grandma A was an answered prayer. Someone the Lord literally brought into our lives when we needed her the most. With our firstborn, both sets of grandparents took turns providing childcare while my husband and I worked. But because all our parents were still working, it was a challenge trying to rotate him between four different schedules from one day to the next. When his little brother was born, our parents' schedule had become more unforgiving. All four grandparents worked third shift and needed the daytime to sleep or recuperate from the night before. When I finally returned to work, Grandma A was adamant that she would care for both my children. She was an absolute blessing to my family. My children still call her grandma, and the way they love each other reminds me every day that God would not leave me without help in my journey as a mother. From the age of three months till he was almost two years old, my second born had a stable and loving caregiver to provide for his needs outside of me and his dad. When my oldest started preschool, God answered another prayer I had forgotten about. As a new mom, I was not comfortable with the idea of putting my children in daycare while they were still too young to tell me what was going on. This is my own personal conviction as a mother, but I did not want strangers taking care of them until my children had the language to tell me what was going on in their life day to day. When my oldest went to preschool at the age of three, he was able to speak up on his own behalf and let us know if anything was wrong in his life away from home. God had answered my prayers through my husband's job, which gave me the freedom to stay home with my children. Through my assistant who was willing to watch my children for me while they were still breastfeeding and needed to stay close by during work hours. And through my parents who gave us free childcare for almost a whole year. Then God brought grandma, grandma A into our lives when all the other resources dried up. I didn't have to put my son in daycare before he was ready or before my heart was at peace with the decision. God has been mindful of me in every step of my journey as a mother. The grace of God has been multiplied in my life most apparently through the community of people he surrounded me with when I needed it the most. Our child care provider is the biggest example of God's timely help. Other examples were the growing number of women who I became connected to who were also raising two or more young children around my children's age and who will share their wisdom and encouragement. Anytime I will make another such connection, my spirit will remind me that grace was working in my favor. 
as my oldest transitioned from preschool to pre-kindergarten. Their babysitter, who had been my right-hand woman, outside of my husband, for 18 months, moved back to Nigeria. I was at a loss. I stayed home with my children and did not work for a season, as we tried to figure out who would help us oversee their care. When I had the opportunity to go back to work, I was begging family and friends to watch the kids for me, even if it was just a few hours. I didn't like having to beg others to watch my children. Anyone who would treat my children as an interruption or an inconvenience to their day was not who I had in mind for their care. We needed another babysitter. Again, God answered that prayer of my heart through another honorary grandma for my kids. The miracle in this arrangement was that their new sitter lived a mere five minutes from our new home. If my husband was unavailable because of his unforgiving work schedule, God always ensured that my children had the loving care they needed. My children have flourished under their babysitter's care. And now that our last born is three, he is also transitioning to preschool. God has provided for my family. He gave us family and family friends to care for my children until I was financially able and emotionally willing to put them into formal daycare. He is mindful of us, even in the mundane or practical things that affect our lives. When we first became a family of four, I worried about how my lack of free time would affect my relationship with the Lord. As a single woman, I would sit in solitude for hours, meditating on scripture or journaling or praying. Even as a mom of one child, I could sneak an hour here and there in the middle of the night to be alone with my thoughts and pray or journal as the mood suited me. I had no lofty ideas about free time with both a newborn and a toddler. When I was six months pregnant with our second son, I prayed a specific prayer for grace. One of my mom friends rightly advised me that time with God and taking care of my children were not mutually exclusive. Prayer and breastfeeding can happen at the same time. Even if it was not more than a few minutes, Having an attitude of prayer in a quiet moment would inspire me to pray even more and spark the urge to commune with the Lord in other ways as well. And she was right. I did not dry up spiritually due to lack of time. I made the most of my fellowship at our local church, determining not to miss Sundays or midweek service unless it was absolutely unavoidable. I surrounded myself with prayerful wives and moms whose conversations pointed me back to Christ. And whenever my schedule allowed, I would drop my children at their babysitter and go home to get some quiet time with God. It was not the uninterrupted hours I had in the years before, but it was enough. Most times when we were at church, my children would begin to act like, well, children. They would cry and fuss and demand to be held, and ultimately, I would have to leave the sanctuary to attend to their needs. I used to get frustrated. After months at home alone with a newborn, 
I finally made it to church and my tiny overlord would not let me enjoy the service. It was a sacrifice to get up after little to no sleep and get two children ready in time for service at our church, which was a good 20 mile drive on the highway. Not far, but far enough for us to be ridiculously late if I did not keep a watchful eye on the clock. I was getting up at seven in the morning just to barely make it in time for 11 o'clock service. What I did not realize was that being inside the sanctuary and partaking in the service was not somehow more honorable than being in the hallways, attending to the needs of the children the Lord has given me. Motherhood is an honorable work itself. The Lord honors my desire to be in fellowship with other believers, participating in the worship service and learning from the sermon. But he is equally pleased with my loving care of my children. Meeting their needs and soothing their hurts was part of being a good steward of their lives. And God who called me to the role of mother would not punish me or deprive me for doing what my children needed of me. Motherhood has tested my walk with the Lord like nothing else I can think of. When my children were babies, I knew I needed the Lord to sustain me just to get through the exhaustion of caring for their little lives while my husband worked a very demanding job. I needed his grace to keep my marriage as it felt like our children had taken me over completely, leaving no room for me to be my husband's best friend and companion. All I could do was navigate between interrupted sleep and the mind-numbing daily routine of caring for my kids. When our oldest was two and his brother was still a newborn, my day went something like this. Wake up four to five times before dawn to breastfeed the baby. Get the children ready for the day. Make breakfast, clean up, breastfeed, clean up, entertain them, clean up, breastfeed, clean up, make lunch, feed them, clean up, run errands, breastfeed, come home, make dinner, clean up, give baths, clean up, pass out into bed only to be woken two hours later by a hungry baby. Rinse and repeat. My husband was at work for 12 hours a day and sleeping from the exhaustion of work for the remainder of the time. If we were lucky, we would see each other for two hours at a time. If we were not so lucky, it would be days before we laid eyes on one another while we were both awake. My schedule was absolutely consumed with the children. Every other aspect of me disappeared. Everything was about the kids. I did not realize I was shrinking into myself until I looked up one day and did not recognize who I saw in the mirror. My hair was in a perpetual state of disarray. I had not spared even a dollar out of our household budget for any of my own beauty needs since I considered them non-essentials. We were currently trying to feed our family of four on the same income that has sustained us when we were child-free newlyweds. Times were rough but my internal state was even rougher. I did not like myself or who I had become. I felt useless in my family. Although I knew I was doing a lot to care for my children and to keep our household running, 
It felt like my efforts meant less than nothing because everything was still so hard and me being out of work was putting us in financial straits. I would have liked to work. I owned a private law practice after all. Unfortunately for me, my clients were mostly indigent and the ones who were not loved pretending to be. Very few paid their bills on time and the ones that did paid it in droplets, $100 here and there, nowhere near enough to sustain a family. Unbeknownst to me, my husband was beyond frustrated at my lack of income. He felt the weight of being the sole provider of our household, and to him, my refusal to get back out there was a slap in the face. It was his wife, who should have been his primary source of help, denying him her support and leaving him to struggle to provide for his family. Meanwhile, on my own end, I was struggling with the overwhelming fear of failure and success. The fear of failure kept me from applying for any opportunities, convinced that I was undesirable after so many years out of the job market and with no real corporate experience. Fear of success told me that if we earned too much money too fast, something bad would happen. We would owe too much to the IRS. We would squander it and end up too far into debt to ever see the surface again. Along with those fears was another quieter one, one I was too afraid to speak, even to myself. I was afraid that my husband did not love me. I believed that he probably regretted marrying me since I had turned out to be such a financial liability. Who ever heard of a lawyer who could not even afford to feed her family? I was in so much debt from law school and my salary per year was mere pennies. I recorded losses in the thousands every year for my business. It cost more to pay office rent, utilities, and even travel back and forth to court than I could make in one year. I was also afraid that the man I loved was no longer attracted to me. The version of me with two kids was a much frumpier woman than the one he married. What if he thought I was washed up? Lastly, I was afraid that my husband believed that my efforts around the home were inconsequential. Despite my best efforts, there were days when my husband would arrive home from work to meet complete chaos. The kids would be crying, there would be no dinner, and the house resembled a disaster area, more than a castle for him to lay his head. What if he thought that I was useless? Not only was I not earning an income that could help us, I could not even do the simple job of keeping the house in order. My insecurities were eating me alive. But I thought that if I did not speak them, they would not be obvious to anyone else, especially my husband. I could not have been more wrong. Although unspoken, my fears interjected into all of my exchanges with my husband. 
because I was now afraid to communicate my needs to my mate. I built scenarios in my head and looked for confirmation in his actions. He could not win. One of our worst fights in that time was an ordinary day when I asked my husband to help with one of our kids, probably to get him bathed and ready. Just to let you know where my mind was at this time, I would ask my husband for help around the house, not because I was overwhelmed and could not do it myself. I was and I couldn't, but rather as a test of his love. After three years of marriage and two kids, my love language, my love language was no longer gifts. I needed help. Denying me help was tantamount to saying, I do not love you. I wanted to be reassured of my husband's love for me, so I would ask for help. I had my suspicions that my husband thought less of me, that he believed that household work was beneath him and only fit for the mate of a wife he had married. If I asked him for help and he agreed, it was not as good as if he had done it without me having to ask, but it was better than nothing. But should I ask him for help? And he declined or murmured. Well, that was confirmation that he really did believe that I should be the only one running around the, behind the kids, cooking, cleaning, and catering to everyone's needs like some indentured servant. Any wrong answer on his part was going to lead us directly into an argument. Babe, can you give the baby a bath for me? I asked. I really do not understand what you do around here all day. My husband retorted sharply, walking away from me and into our bedroom. I was immediately incensed. I recounted the endless hours I spent feeding, bathing, entertaining, and caring for his children often without any break, adult conversation, or any semblance of me time. And he did not understand what I did around the house all day. Maybe if he was not working or asleep for 22 hours every day, he would have known I was dangerously close to the edge of my sanity. His words stung. It was a hurtful reminder that no one in my family valued what I did as a wife or mom. Worse still, it was a confirmation of my worst fear that my husband really did resent me for being out of work and spending my time focusing on our children. I gave my husband an earful and stormed out of the house to sit in the car. Once I was alone, I made two phone calls. One phone call was to my closest friend, Stephanie, who had talked me off the ledge more than once before. Then the second to my mentor, Auntie Gloria, a pastor's wife and the woman who walked me through my salvation journey. She's a mother of quadruplets, a licensed professional, and so much more. I cried bitter tears on those phone calls. I was convinced that I had married the wrong kind of man. I should have been more diligent to study my husband's habits before we got married. I should have spoken to him more candidly about what I would need in a husband and the father of my children before ever saying I do. Even my suffering has to be my fault. 
Either I picked the wrong kind of man or I was the wrong kind of woman, the type that was not deserving of a husband who wanted to help her. I should have studied his family's patterns more closely. We were both coming from backgrounds where the work of raising children was left to the women. The men worked, but beyond that, they were not to be bothered with menial tasks such as house chores or childcare. In our parents' generations, both our mothers were surrounded by house help in the form of extended family members who lived with them for months or years, helping around the house and caring for newborns. In my husband's case, his mom sent him to live with his grandmother for almost an entire year while she cared for his newborn brother. Our fathers were raised with a mentality that seemed to suggest that all they needed to be to qualify as good fathers and husbands were providers. If they made the money, they could do or not do anything else their hearts desired, whether consciously or unconsciously. My husband and I both picked up that mentality and it ended up doing us a great disservice in our marriage. I had been softly indoctrinated to believe that in order to be called a good wife, and a good mother. I had to be everything to everyone while getting help from no one. It was my job to make sure the children were cared for and lacking nothing. It was my job to make sure my husband's physical needs were met. And I had to do all those things without complaint. Otherwise, I was a nag. And being a nag was a surefire way to end up either divorced or miserably married, a fate worse than death. I was pre-programmed to shut up and take it. Whether I was miserable or not was nobody's concern. I just had to find a way to be there for my family. Anything less than that was my failure as a wife. My thoughts swirled and my misery compounded as I finally called Auntie Gloria. She talked me off the ledge once again. She reminded me that Superwoman was a fictional character. I was not required to set myself on fire to keep my family warm. She reminded me that the only person that could be everything to everyone was Jesus himself. I was not the savior of my family. I was one woman. Sure, I had a role to play, but God's design for marriage did not include me feeling enslaved to my husband and children. She gave me a nugget of wisdom that I have carried with me ever since. I know you're a sweet wife to your husband. Do not let the enemy rob you of your sweetness. The light bulb went off in my mind and it beamed brightly for the first time in a long time. I had spent so many hours of the last two years of my life caring for my children that I was no longer enjoying them. I was missing out on the joy of motherhood because all I could see was the drudgery of it. I did not take the time to find joy in my children's smile or kisses. I did not tune into the moments when they learned a new word or mastered a new skill. All I was doing was keeping them alive until bedtime so I could get on with the rest of my day. The loss of joy in motherhood had translated to built up resentment having to do these hard things day in and day out without my husband's help. 
and that resentment for his lack of help around the house has started poisoning my heart towards him. I was letting the enemy steal my sweetness. I was losing the joy of my marriage. Alarm bells started ringing immediately. I thought back to the many weeks and months without effective communication. The date, na- the date nights that no longer happened and our intimacy life that felt more like another thing on my to-do list instead of our time to reconnect as husband and wife. I ended up writing my husband a long letter of apology, pouring out my heart and reaffirming my love and admiration for him. After he read the letter, we spoke. Both our hearts having been softened by the first move, motivated by love in over 24 hours between us. We got to a place of understanding. He expressed his feelings of helplessness and frustrations he had kept inside for the preceding months. And we found common ground once again. Again, I'm not going to lie and tell you that this was our last argument about the children or the division of labor at home. And that we have continued in perpetual marital bliss since that day. In fact, we have had many more come to Jesus meetings between the two of us. And I'm sure we will be recalibrating for the sake of our marriage for the rest of our lives on this earth. Children can be a stressor like no other on a marriage. Lack of communication, failure to prioritize one's sex life, and holding on to unforgiveness will make it that much harder to find even footing after adding kids to a marriage. Some people, like me, think they are building a peaceful marriage by not expressing the turmoil that is going on in their heart and mind. One of the best quotes I ever heard on this subject says, quote, when you avoid conflict to keep the peace, you start a war inside yourself, author unknown. And that was exactly my experience. I was trying to be superwoman and supermom for my family and almost ran my sanity into the ground. Instead of speaking up as soon as I began to feel overwhelmed, I let my silence grow into resentment against my husband because he could not anticipate my needs and failed to meet them. I have seen enough marriages fail for this very reason to know that this is a recipe for disaster. My husband is not God. He unfortunately does not know my mind unless I speak it effectively to him. For someone who has been taught that asking for what you need is being a burden on others, it was much easier for me to remain quiet and pray that God miraculously changes him. My approach to motherhood has been refined as my kids have grown. I have gotten to the point that I am willing to entertain the thought of expanding our family. It no longer terrifies me as it did when my kids were one and three. Now, at the age of three and five, it seems doable to give them a little brother or sister. Now that we are dealing with expressing our emotions with words, instead of interpreting a newborn's hunger cues from his sleepy ones, I have a whole new set of apprehensions about my parenting. My children watch me all the time, and their ability to mimic what I have demonstrated is oftentimes frightening. 
my oldest son looks almost exactly like me. And now it seems he has inherited my temperamental and emotional response to even the slightest provocation. I have always known that I am, along with their dad, my children's first example. They look to me for everything from how to respond to new people, when to be scared, and what it means to love God. When I am exhausted, I am not as compassionate as I would like to believe. Compound this with children who are always pulling at me, who always want something, who never understand that mommy needs to rest. And it's a recipe for disaster. When I am feeling that close to the edge, it only takes a small push for me to explode all over whoever is closest by. And more often than I care to admit, the casualties are my children and my husband. This has been part one of chapter five, Mayhem and Motherhood. Join us next week for part two. Take care.